0: Lord, we just thank you for this day. We just thank you for the rain we've been having. We just thank you for your loving care over us. We just pray that you keep us safe from all harm all summer. Just keep the hurricanes away and and bless our families. And I'm just so glad to hear that Ashley's father-in-law is able to eat a little bit. Thank you, Lord, for that. And we just pray for Bonnie's son, who at age 50 had a stroke. We pray for him, that he might get everything back. We just ask all of this in Jesus' name and that you would bless today's lesson. In Jesus' name, amen. Dr. Ryrie says that the English title, Deuteronomy, comes from the Greek Septuagint, means second law giving, and comes from a mistranslation. So it shouldn't be called the second giving of the law. It's a mistranslation of chapter 17, verse 18 which actually says a copy of this law. The Jewish title, which means words, comes from the first verse and is typical of the beginning of ancient suzerainty treaties or treaties that kings made with their kingdom. And much of the material in the book follows this treaty pattern, elaborating the responsibilities of Israel as God's covenant people included are many of the laws contained in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. But it isn't just a repetition of Leviticus at all. And we saw that and from the latter part of Deuteronomy that it's another covenant. It's the covenant of Deuteronomy. And so he goes on to say, The book contains the addresses that Moses gave during the final months of his life when the Israelites were encamped in the plains of Moab prior to their entrance into the Promised Land. The people were facing some war, temptations, and a new settled way of life all under the unproved leadership of Joshua. Moses' congregation here had not personally experienced the deliverance at the Red Sea. They didn't know about that. They'd heard about it. Or the giving of the law at Sinai. They needed to be reminded of God's power and God's laws. And then he says, of the 27 books in the New Testament, 17 of them quote from Deuteronomy. And Jesus, when he answered the devil, when the devil was tempting him, he quoted Deuteronomy to him. But first of all, I wanted to say that Ashley, Barbara, just got back from Israel. Did you go to any of these places, honey? Were you across the Jordan at all? No. You were just in the land of Israel. Well, would you tell us just one or two highlights of your trip? You just got back. Maybe you should come up here so that Mike can catch you better. Our
1: first stay was with Russian Holocaust survivors. Just ministry. Just uh, we provided a lunch for them and just showed the love of Christ to them. We weren't really able to speak. They speak Russian and, and we don't. But it's a ministry there in Israel that is working with them. And uh, I brought back a souvenir from Shiloh. That was probably one of the special um, places.
0: I'll tell them how near Shiloh is to Jerusalem.
1: Oh, it's not far. I mean, maybe by car, about 30 minutes. And that's where the tabernacle stood for 369 years. And they have now um, digging. um, They found all these pot shards out in a field, and they consulted a local rabbi who got very excited about it and said that when the people came up three times a year for the feasts, they would have brought their food and cooking uh dishes with them and they were consecrated to the lord so they would not have taken them back home they would have just left them there so that helped them determine where to dig for the actual tabernacle and when they started digging they found foundational stones with holes for the posts and so it just is another clear example of the accuracy or the proof of the bible so you're just scooped
0: up tell yes
1: me. yes i have one of the pot shards with me but um They'd already have dug that site and taken whatever they wanted to reclaim and have just left thousands of pottery pieces behind. That was very exciting.
0: Yes, so that was your first day.
1: Well, Shiloh was just a special (coughs) highlight further on in the trip, but we visited the typical, like, Caesarea by the Sea where they found that theater stone with Pontius Pilate's name on it proving he did exist, and um, we visited the... uh, We don't need
0: that proof, do we? We have it from the Bible. Right. But there are a bunch out there that try to disprove the Bible in every age, from every country.
1: Yeah. And we had um, baptisms in the Jordan River. Tom and I did that. Not nice. Was it
0: cold? No. It wasn't?
1: It it was warm.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) But it was just a wonderful trip.
0: While I was over there and they were baptizing, I was walking up and down All over the river, and I had my tennis shoes on, and I was clomping around. I just wanted to walk up and down in all over, because I didn't care about seeing other people get baptized. But I was was interested in the fact that you can see land across. It's just not very wide, is it? No, no. So no other big highlights that you need to share with us?
1: No. It's, uh, everything is just
0: It's wonderful. Are you going again?
1: Um, Not anytime soon.
0: Was it safe? Oh, yeah. That's what we all ask is it safe? Yeah,
1: I feel with, because they have that security wall they built ever since, I don't know, early 2000s.
0: Between there and what? The
1: the West Bank territories. That's
0: where David, that's where Bethlehem is. You can't get to Bethlehem anymore
1: without having to go through a checkpoint. And that's just
0: five miles. It's really terrible, isn't it? Well, come back, Lord, and throw that down. Thank you, Barb, very much. Well, so this land is an ancient land. And, you know, I just thought in Genesis 15, turn back there with me just again, just a second to see in Genesis 15 what God said about this land to Abraham. He made a covenant with him. He cut a covenant, and that's this wonderful 15th chapter and then he said, No, certainly, Abram, that your descendants will be strangers, verse 13, in a land that's not theirs and will serve them. That would be the Egyptian bondage. And they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. After that, they will come out with great possessions. Well, we know that. We wonder how they had all the, the money and the gold and everything to build the tabernacle and you know, everything. And it was from the Egyptians. They spoiled the Egyptians. So they took all the wealth of Egypt, out of Egypt with them. And so for 400 years, they were afflicted. And so afterward, they came out of Egypt with great possessions. Now, as for you, God said to Abram, you'll go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation. Now back then, evidently, a generation was 100 years. 400 years they were there. Uh, They shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites." And see, that's what God is going to be talking in Deuteronomy about the Amorites. This was the whole Canaanitish peoples that lived there. Uh, That's another very interesting thing to see about how Canaan took this part of this land. And I just wonder, he was a very evil person. But here we see the Lord said, in the fourth generation, after the iniquity of the Amorites is full, then you can come back and it said, On the same day, verse 18, the Lord cut a covenant with Abraham, or a contract, to your descendants. He said, I've given this land from the river of Egypt. And so, Dr. Ryrie back here, when it says the river of Egypt, we know that that isn't a wadi, a little stream. The river of Egypt is the Nile. And so, it's from the Nile, the river of Egypt, to the great river, the river Euphrates. Not a little wadi off of the Euphrates, but the great river Euphrates. 300,000 miles of land, God promised them. Have they had it all yet? No. no, but they're going to have it someday. To your descendants, I've given this land. And he said, here are the people that you're going to displace, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites. See, that would be the area where they were stretched all up through Turkey, all that area. The Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, And that would be these giant peoples, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So that is what we're seeing. And then go back to Genesis 9 a minute and 10 where God, after the flood, right after the flood. I was thinking about this this morning. This land of Canaan that is so special to the Lord, how did the devil know about it? How did he secure this land with his people so long. And so this, I think, answers it back here in the ninth and 10th chapters of Genesis. After the flood, God said to Noah about the rainbow, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh. So every time you see a rainbow, look up and say, Lord, I'm remembering that covenant too. And all those beautiful colors in there. And so now the corrupt people, the Canaanites of today, have taken that as their symbol. And that's terrible that they have done that. But that's what they've always done. It's what Satan has always done, taken the truth and twisted it. And that's what he did there. Now it said, the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Sham, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. Now why would it bring that up? Mentioning the land that would be someday the land that Jesus would rule over, and that would be the land that he would give to Abraham and his descendants. But see, he's the father of Canaan. It doesn't say each one, when he had a shaman, he was the father of. It does later, but it picks out Canaan. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer. He planted a vineyard. Now, how long this took after the flood? Probably many years. I mean, maybe at least 50 or 40 or a long time. So after the flood, he planted a vineyard. or Maybe not even 20 years. I don't know. I'm not a farmer. But uh, he planted a vineyard. Then he drank the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, Saw the nakedness, see the father of Canaan again. Ham saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. And when we got to the tabernacle, the priests were to cover themselves so their nakedness, see, this is a shame of sin in the Bible. That's what nakedness pictures. And Dr. McGee says in his book on Isaiah that I remember hearing that a people, when they take off their clothes and are practically naked, it's heathenism. Is that becoming true in our country? And I, I remember Dr. Johnson. He's passed away now. But when he was a missionary over in France, he said back then that even he was embarrassed. He was embarrassed to be over there, like on the beaches or any place. But so Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, told his two brothers outside, Probably, oh, look what we found here, see? And Sham and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. His younger son was the Ham, but it could have been Ham's younger son. It could have been Canaan himself, or it could have just been Ham. Knew what Ham had done to him. But why would he say then? He said to Canaan right away, Cursed be Canaan. So Canaan had something to do with this. And we know that they were perverts. And this is the first picture of perversion in the Bible. And we're seeing this all over. I was shocked to see what they did with this. On the front page of the St. Pete Times, glorifying this, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. Now see, Shem would be his firstborn. That's the family that Abraham came from, and that's the family that the Persians came from. See, they were not Hamitic, but these Hamitic peoples, but blessed be the Lord, he can convert them too. And so he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brethren. And so the Gibeonites were going to see, deceive them, see? And they were from this same family, but so they couldn't kill the Gibeonites, we're going to see, and do it around a little later on. But what they did was they made them servants, hewers of wood, and carriers or helpers at the temple. That's what they were. So that's what he said. In Joshua chapter 9, they were hewers of wood and drawers of water. So Canaan was to be a servant of servants. He shall be to his brethren. Now, this wasn't true for a long time. The descendants of Hammer, the Egyptians, they ruled the world for a time. The Sumerians did. The Hittites had a great empire. The Mongol tribes did. The Chinese and the Japanese, they're all from this same family of Canaan. So that's where they get... The Sinai Peninsula is Sinai is from Japanese, S I N. So anyway, blessed be the Lord, the God of Sham, and may Canaan be his servant. So it must have been Canaan that did this, probably a homosexual act on his grandfather. Let's see, he knew a terrible thing. But when we get on further, that's why you've got to read this. I don't. I'm not even going to read it about the Asherah from the Companion Bible. But every time you see an obelisk or anything like that, people today don't even know what it means. But here's what the beginning of it was. It was the same heathen worship that Gideon made an image from his father. He was a worshiper of Baal. This was Baal worship and heathen worship. So he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, These were the Greeks and the Romans and the Europeans. And may he dwell in the tents of Shem. Well, that may mean the religion of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob dwelling in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. Now, this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth in chapter 10. And sons were born to them after the flood. Mentions the Japhethites and it mentions then the sons of Ham in verse 8 were Cush, Mizrim, which is another name for Egypt, put that's Libya, and Canaan, which is Sinai. See, these are his sons, and then it tells the sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama. these are um, Sabtica, and all of the African nations. And Cush begat Nimrod. So the, who was Nimrod? The first world ruler was a Hamite. And he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So it was over there where Babylon is in Iraq today or ancient Babylon. Erech, Akad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. These are cities near Babylon. This is the Babylon on the Euphrates. And from that land, he went to Assyria. So he went north and built Nineveh. That, we know where Nineveh is today. It's in northern Iraq. And Rehoboth, Ur, and Kala, these are all cities. Nineveh is Mosul today. And they call it Nineveh, the province of Nineveh. And reason between Nineveh and Kala, that is a principal city, Mizraim, that Egypt tells about he, his children. And then, uh, for who came from Mizraim? He begat Ludum, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtuhim, Pathersim, Casluhim. from whom came the Philistines and the Kafirim. Now, so the, the Palestinians are claiming to be the ancient Philistines. Well, then they're, they're Hamitic. But they're also claiming to be relatives of Isaac and Jacob of the land. No, they aren't. They're Hamitic. Abraham is Semitic. When you think of all this, it makes you wonder about the devil and all of his activities. He was the god of this age. He's the one ruling this world. And uh, he's the one that, when God called an angelic convocation in chapters one and two of Job, he said, where did you come from, Satan? And he said, from going to and fro in the earth and up and down in it. So this is his place. And so he, he knew that this was going to be the place that Jesus was going to come. He knew this. He, he could read the Bible. He could hear these promises that God gave in the early days. And I think he wanted that land. He said, I'll just take that land for myself. Well, God had other plans, and he still has other plans for the land. But notice, the Philistines and then Canaan beget Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, the Hittites, and the Jebusite, the Amorite, and the Girgashite, the Hivite, the Archite, the Sinite. See, this would be all the Chinese and the people from um, Arvadite, the Zemite, the Hamathite. Afterward, after that, the families of the Canaanites were dispersed. And the border of the Canaanites, you know what the border of the Canaanite ancient Canaan was that God gave to Abraham? It was from Sidon. That's up the coast as you go toward Gerar, as far as Gaza, all the way down in the Philistine, all along the coast, clear of the Mediterranean. All of that that was the border of the Canaanites. As far as Gaza, then as you go toward Sodom, so way over on the east to Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, Zeboim, as far as Lasha. So it's probably uh, the whole land the border of Canaan. These were the sons of Ham, according to their families. So then it tells about the children of Shem. But I just wanted to see that because with that background in looking at Deuteronomy, we need to remember that God said that from down at Sinai where they were, and I gave you that map showing where they they were in Sinai in Arabia. It was an 11 days journey. Notice what the second verse of chapter one says. 11 days journey from Mount Sinai by way of, it's called Horeb, to Kadesh Barnea, which would be the southern part of the land. But it took them 40 years. So it was only 11 days' journey, but because of their unbelief, they had to do that. Anyway, they had to wander in the land for 38 years and then. So this is a rehearsal that Moses gives of how the Lord led them, how he said to Horek in verse 6 down in Sinai, he said, you've dwelt long enough at this mountain. Now, it's time to leave. They were just there a year. See, they built the tabernacle. They were all ready to go after a year. They had the law given to them in the 19th chapter of Exodus. So you've dwelt long enough. Let's go. Well, then they got up near the land, and they got frightened. This is a new group of people. They didn't see the Red Sea crossing. They didn't see God coming down in fire on Mount Sinai. They didn't see all of that. And so they thought, we're going in under this untried Joshua. Moses is not going to take us in. God is punishing him because of us. And so they were worried. Moses said in the 22nd verse, every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up. See, God had said, How did he lead them out of Egypt? By night, he led them so they knew exactly where to go at night and where to camp. And during the day, the cloud led them so that all day long, they were led by the Lord. They didn't just wander aimlessly on the way to Sinai. God took care of every little thing. Couldn't he do it again? Couldn't they trust him? No, they didn't believe that they could. So they said, let's send some spies up to spy out the land. Well, one from each tribe. Moses gave in to them and then they came back and only two had a good report. Well, the majority is often wrong. It was in our last election evidently. But anyway, they went up and the people said, they said they're greater, verse 18, and taller than we are. And I was trying to find when my computer crashed, maybe Lee, Lou, you can find it, the pictures of the giants that they're finding today, these huge Nephilim the liberals are poo-pooing it, saying it's not true, but we know that odd king of Bashan, or Bashan, had a bedstead that was over eleven and a half feet long and six feet wide. He couldn't get in this room. Well, they were just huge, huge people, but is that too hard for the Lord? David didn't think so, but so we went saw the land. It is a gorgeous land, and here's some fruit of it, and the grapes we had to carry between our shoulders, one bunch of grapes. And they are probably this big. Anyway, said, so the people are taller and greater and the walls are high and fortified. And we saw the sons of the Anakim there. Now, if you don't have all there is to know about the Nephilim, it's on this sheet of paper. Please take it and put it in your Bible. Read it over and over again because it may happen again as we saw last week in answering question about the tribulation That Satan may do this again. Fallen angels cohabit with humans. We know that in spiritism, that's a part of spiritism, is having sex with evil spirits. Don't ever get into Ouija boards or anything like that. I used to have people in my class that were in that and they went home and they burned it. Don't even throw it in your garbage can. Somebody else might get it. Anything that's the occult, get it out of your house because. It causes nothing but troubles and demonic influences come in. So the Anakim were there, it said, the Lord will fight for you, see, don't you remember what, how he fought for you? But only Joshua and Caleb came out. So that's what that said. And so we went through this, then about coming out, God's going to make them wander for 38 years. We turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea, chapter 2 and they saw these giants and they saw all of this. So now then, chapter 3, the conquest of getting over the Jordan. Arise, take your journey, verse 24. Cross the river Arnon. Look, I've given into your hand Sion the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. And I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and he was a giant. He said, let me pass through, we'll buy the water, we'll buy the food. He wouldn't do it. So they defeated him, and that was part of their land that they took. So then in chapter 3, God is saying, don't go near the Ammonites. God has given that to the children of Lot. Then we turned in chapter 3 and went up the road to Bashan and Og, king of Bashan, came out against us. He and all his people to battle at Edrei. This was in Numbers chapter 21. And he was a giant. And the Lord said to me, Don't fear him, for I've delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand. You shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon. So the Lord our God also delivered into our hands Og, king of Bashan with all of his people, and we attacked him until he had no survivors remaining. We took all of his cities at that time. There was not a city which we did not take from them. Sixty cities, all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og in Bashan. All these cities were fortified with high walls, gates, and bars. When you go over there, you can see all of the ruins of these. They're called tells, T-E-L-L-S. And as new civilizations came, they would build one on top of the other. So they dig under and under and under, and you can get back thousands of years. Not more than 5,000. Not more than before the flood, let me tell you, because everything was destroyed then. It's not like, like, like evolutionists say billions of years. But he said, we destroyed Sihon. But all the livestock and the spoil of the cities we took as booty for ourselves. And at that time we took the land from the hand of the two kings of the Amorites who were on this side of the Jordan, on the east of the Jordan, from the river Arden, Arnon to Mount Hermon. The Sidonians call Hermon Syrian and the Amorites call it Senir. All the cities of the plain, all Gilead, all Bashan, as far as Salca and Edrei, cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants, see that the Nephilim. His bedstead was an iron bedstead, is it not in Rabbah of the people of Ammon? It was nine cubits in length and four cubits in width. That'd be 13 and a half feet long and four to six feet wide, according to the standard cubit. Now a cubit really was about 18 inches, like a man's hand from the end of it up to here. So that would be a cubit. Now, we do it differently, don't we? But that's how that was. And the land which we possessed at that time from Eror, which is by the river Arnon, and half the mountains of Gilead and its cities, I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites. The rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to half the tribe of Manasseh. We remember in reading in Numbers that these two 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 and a half tribes, they said, we've defeated these guys and this is such beautiful land we'd like to have this be our they wanted to stop short of the promised land and so they were given opportunity to do that they stopped short but when all the hordes came from the north and the northeast and the northwest they went right through they were the first ones in the line of battle and it wasn't a good choice there was nothing to keep them like the, like the rivers and all. they just come straight south to them uh, the land of the giants, Jair, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argob, as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Maccathites, and called Bashan after his own name, Hathoth-Jar, to this day. And I gave Gilead to Macher and to the Reubenites and the Gadites, I gave Gilead as far as the river Arnon, the middle of the river as the border, as far as the river Jabbok, the border of the people of Ammon. The plain also with the Jordan as its border from Galilee, that's Kinnereth, the Sea of Galilee, as far as the east side of the Sea of the Arabah, that'd be the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea, as far as the east side of the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, below the slopes of Pisgah. And I commanded you at that time saying, see, I would love to have a guy take me all through all of this, but it wouldn't be safe today. And I commanded you at that time, The Lord has given you this land to possess. All you men of valor shall cross over armed before your brethren, the children of Israel. You people that want to stay on this side of the Jordan, uh, but when they fight, you've got to go with them. Leave your children here and go over and fight with your brethren until the Lord has given rest to your brethren as to you. And they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return to his possession which I have given you. And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all kingdoms. See, don't be afraid, Joshua. You're going to be leading. Don't be afraid. You've seen what I did to Og and Sihon. Huh? Then I'm going to do this to all the kingdoms through which you pass. You must not fear them, for the Lord your God himself fights for you. Isn't that wonderful to think that the Lord... I think he must fight for us, too, if we're on his side. And we are on his side. Then Moses pleaded at that time. Moses pleaded with the Lord. He said, I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you've begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, these pleasant mountains and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account. See, he struck the rock twice and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah. Lift your eyes toward the west, north, south, and east. Behold it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan." But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. So, evidently, from this Pisgah, very high on the east side of the Jordan, just opposite Jericho, he could see the whole land from the south to the north, the whole parcel of land, clear to the, the Euphrates. So, we stayed in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Now, O Israel, now I saw what he's going to say, Moses is going to say, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you. that we aren't to add anything to this Bible either because he said, Don't add to or take anything away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor for the Lord your God who destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. You've got to follow my statutes, that's my moral and spiritual duties, and my judgments, that would be what happens to you if you don't, that would be the, the punishment. And so social justice is So I've taught you these moral duties and what will happen if you don't keep them, the judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom. And uh, when you read the first chapter of Proverbs, what is wisdom? It repeats these very things. This is what wisdom is, knowing what God considers right and wrong. This is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear. All these people in the land will hear of all these statutes and say, can you think of somebody that came far away that had heard of Solomon, the Queen of Sheba? See, she, We've heard of the wisdom that you have from this book. We've heard in our own country. This is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statues and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. God is saying, that's what they're going to say about you. Well that's what Rahab the harlot believed. She said, we're scared to death of you. We know that you have the one true God. We're going to get into all of that. They will see this. But what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments are as in all this law, the law of Moses, which I set before you today. And I've got to just right at the moment Turn back to Psalm 19. I'm trying to memorize it every night, but I don't want Med to have, make me get up and say it Yeah, <laughs> You'll have to tell him, Posey. But so notice what it says. The first part of the psalm, and this is wonderful in the book, The Gospel and the Stars, that book by Bullinger. Get the book just for those first few chapters where he says that the first part of this psalm tells about how wonderful God is in His creation, but the last part of the psalm tells about how wonderful He is in His law, and that's what I want us to see just as we're coming to the close today. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. That's the stretched out place between the waters above and the waters beneath when God made the earth. And he said it shows His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, night unto night shows knowledge, reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language. This is the voice of God's see, this is what God gave Adam and Eve. This is what he gave them. There's no speech or language. Their voice isn't heard, but their teaching or their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. It's like he set in the firmament, when he set the stars there and he set a tabernacle in the firmament for the sun like a tent for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race his rising is from one end of heaven that's what he comes and to the other end and its circuit to the other end and there is nothing hid from the heat of the sun is there now then it comes the second part it seems like it doesn't have anything to do with it but it says the law of the Lord or the commandments of the Lord are perfect, converting the soul. The testimony, and the word testimony is when you give, you say it over and over again. That's what that means. They were to give their testimony wherever they went, to it over and over again. How wonderful God was! The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Isn't that wonderful? I'm simple, and so the Lord will make me wise. When I know about Him, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes, the moral duties of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then we're going to see that when he says, wipe out man, woman, babies, everybody of the Canaanites. Get rid of them all. And so we need that the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Moreover, to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by all of these things, your servant is warned. So we, we've been warned, haven't we, in this Bible? We know, we know the end from the beginning. Your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. And in the New Testament, we aren't under the law of Moses. But in the New Testament, every one of these principles is brought forth except the Sabbath. See, that was especially for Israel. But we aren't to murder. We aren't to. These are what God considers right and pure and good, and they warn us. So this is one place that it talks about this. I had another place, but I'm not going to do it. So back to where we were in Deuteronomy. He keeps going over about statues and judgments, so we need to know what they are exactly. Therefore be careful to observe them. This is your wisdom. And so he said, what great nation, verse 8, has such statues and righteous judgments? Take heed to yourself that you diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And what you're to do with this law, teach them to your children and to your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord, your God, in, at Mount Sinai in Horeb, WHEN THE LORD SAID TO ME, GATHER THE PEOPLE TO ME, AND I WILL LET THEM HEAR MY WORDS, THAT THEY MAY LEARN TO FEAR ME ALL THE DAYS THEY LIVE ON THE EARTH, THAT THEY MAY TEACH THEIR CHILDREN TO LEARN TO FEAR HIM. THE FEAR OF THE LORD IS CLEAN. YOU CAME NEAR AND STOOD AT THE FOOT OF THE MOUNTAIN, AND THE MOUNTAIN, Mount Sinai BURNED WITH FIRE TO THE MIDST OF HEAVEN, WITH DARKNESS, CLOUD AND THICK DARKNESS. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the 10 commandments. And he wrote them on two tables of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. Take careful heed to yourselves. You saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourself a carved image of God, maybe. but So that's what they did. They made carved images of the things in the heaven, called them God, instead of the one God said, take heed, you saw no form, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female the likeness of any beast that is on the earth or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. And take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to you to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people, his inheritance, as you are this day. He called Egypt the iron furnace. Furthermore, and I imagine those people that escaped from Russia feel like they came out of an iron furnace too, that are in Israel today. And other people that are imprisoned if they get loose. Furthermore, the Lord was angry, that Moses said, with me for your sakes and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not cross over the Jordan, but you shall cross over and possess that good land. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God, and we read this several times in Hebrews. Today he's the same. When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess it. Where did God take them to the seat of idolatry? To Babylon because they did these things. It was utter perversion that they would do this. And when you read about the Asherah, it's utter, utter perversion. Sick. It's what Canaan started and what they do today even. It's just turning away or just like thumbing your nose in God's face. That's what it's doing. So it says, you make a carved image in the form of anything I call heaven and earth that he will destroy you and the Lord will scatter you, verse 27, among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there, where the nations where he drives you, there you will serve God's, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord when you're in this misery. When From there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress or in the tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when that means that that isn't Babylon, but in the latter days, that's a tribulation. When you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice and Hosea three five says this, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which He swore to them. For ask now concerning the days that are past which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the middle of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and by outstretched arm and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord Himself is God. There is none other besides Him. Out of heaven He let you hear His voice, that He might instruct you. On earth He showed you His great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day. Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you. See, later on it says, and it's good for you to do this. You'll be better off. Prolong your days, that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. So then we'll stop here today and next week we'll take the cities of refuge. But then it mentions again the testimonies, the statutes, the judgment. Uh, He keeps repeating these things. So that's why we need to write down what they mean so that when we catch a hold of them someplace else, we'll know. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. Bless these things to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you have any questions yet? Really loud, so this could pick it up. And because he loved thy fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them and brought thee out in his sight with his mighty power out of Egypt. Which verse is that? Okay, 437. Yes. He, at least in the King James, in another place he said, because he had a favor unto them, I guess it's the same concept. He loved them. Well, he loved them because of Abraham. See, okay, because my servant Abraham. So that's my question: is why? Because he believed. Is yeah, that why? That's right. He did. He believed, he believed the did. Lord and counted him for righteousness. See, that's in all the way through in Galatians. It's that people need that they need to read Galatians and Ephesians and all these New Testament books over and over and over. So when you're reading your Bible, read a lot from the Old Testament and a lot from the New Testament for every day for your own soul. Oh, I wanted to go into this Judges chapter 11 about Gideon and how he got off the track. But there's so many things in Judges, It's, it's a terrible book about how bad they were, but there are many things in there like the crescent ornaments that were on the camel's necks. They worshiped the moon god back then, the same thing that's on the Bank of Tampa and on the University of Tampa. But today nobody remembers what this is even.